good morning, everyone. It is uh, awesome to be able to come today on this wonderful, beautiful, sunny day we had today. I want to thank you for coming to church. You know what's interesting? Sometimes I'm like, when it's snowing and it's blizzarding, I'm like, hey, thank you for coming to church. I know that was difficult. But just as difficult as when the weather is incredibly nice, it's easy to be like, man, it would be good to go camping or head out to the mountains. But thank you for coming and we're coming together and worshiping together. I believe that God joins with us. I actually felt like the Lord put a word on my heart that I want to share even before we go here. And I want to read to you out of Luke chapter 5, verses 3 to 7. And it says this, Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, its owner, to push out into the water. And so he sat in the boat and taught the crowds there. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go to where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. And this time their nets were full, so full of fish, the nets began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat and soon other boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. I really believe today we've heard, even prophetically, we've heard in our transition time, the whole idea that God is always working things out in our, our hearts. He wants us to endure. He wants us to be thankful. He wants us to be grateful because God is producing good things in our life. But I felt like the Lord gave me a little different angle on this, and it's this, that I believe that the Lord is speaking to us today, and he wants to say to us, where there are places in your life and your world that you've asked for things, you've believed for things, you've hope for things, and you haven't seen things move in, the, in a way that you know that God has answered those prayers, I hear the Lord saying, ask me again. Let your nets down again. Let your nets down again. It may not seem like it's, uh, things have changed. It may not seem like things are going to be different, but God is saying, I'm about ready to do a new thing in your life. So ask me again for those things that you're believing for, because I'm about to move on your behalf. Amen. Can I hear that? An amen for that today? Because God is really wanting to do something. I feel that in my heart, but we got to continue to press into him. Amen? amen. Hallelujah. Well, I also want to invite you to come this Monday night to prayer. And here's what we're going to be praying about. I'm going to give you the theme tonight. We're going to be praying for our children and children everywhere. I believe that the spirit of this age is bent on destroying children through woke ideologies and other measures. And if you have not prayed with us before, or maybe you haven't prayed together in a while, I want to encourage you to come and exercise your spiritual gifts and join with us. Come and be a difference maker. It'll be this Monday night at 7.30 on Zoom. Please come and join with us for that. Anyways, I've got a message that we're, a new series that we're starting today called Changed by the Blood. Changed by the blood. And I want to start off by sharing a story with you today. When I was 10 years old, I went to my very first overnight church camp. It was called Camp Mayfield. And it was a, it was a beautiful place. It was nestled in the foothills of the Cascade Mountains where I grew up in the state of Washington. And this camp had these beautiful, wide, open fields that were great for big games and, and running around. It had cozy cabins and a lake that was perfect for both swimming and water skiing. It was at this camp that I was first introduced to Jesus, even though I would not fully accept him until a few years later. It's where I, I really heard the gospel message for the first time. 
Now, my favorite part of being at this camp was that we played a game that we actually, our, our kids' ministry has, and so if there's any kids that are in here or, or, or children's workers, you'll be familiar with it. It was called Gaga. If you, have you ever heard of the game called Gaga? Now, Gaga is a game that's placed in an enclosed circle or octagon with walls that are made by tables or benches or, or something similar. And then you use a medium-sized ball, like a soccer ball or a volleyball, uh, to, to play this game. Now, the object of the game is to eliminate all of the other people that are inside of the circle. And the way that you do it is that you take the ball. You're not allowed to pick it up, but you have to have it on the ground, and you hit it, and you try to hit it below the knees of somebody, their, their feet. It can hit at the back of their legs or whatever. So if you really become strategic, you learn how to use the walls, or you, you, you learn how to deflect it off other people so that you can eliminate them, and, and, and you, 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 you continue on to this until there's only, you're the only one left in the game. Well, one time as I was playing this game, I went to take a big shot with my fist, and as I swung with all my might, my hand scraped my knuckles on a rocky ground. Ooh, <laughs> you know what it's like when you get gravel in yourself, that's not a fun thing. And as you can imagine, there was blood everywhere. And as I went to get attention for my injuries, I discovered something new about myself. As I came back to consciousness, I discovered that I was not able to look at my own blood. Now, I don't know if there's anybody else that has that, that thing. It's actually, there's a word for it. It's called hemophobia. It's the fear of blood. Now, I don't have a problem looking at other people's blood, but I do have a problem looking at my own. And so, uh, even if you don't, Faint at the sight of blood, even as I'm talking about blood here right now, it's an unpleasant experience for most people, isn't it, to see blood. But blood is important because it supports life in humans and most animals. Without blood, life could not exist. And so today as we begin our new series called Changed by the Blood, we're going to look at when Jesus talked about his blood being poured out for us, why was his blood so important? Boy, you're going to learn about the importance of applying the blood of Jesus to every area of our life and how through incredible sacrifice we can grow in holiness so that we can carry the power of the Holy Spirit. Who would like to carry more of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? I would like to do that. Now, you know, there are many cleaning brands that are out there today that carry many promises. I was just looking at a few of them as I was studying and some that I came to my mind. First of all, we have Tide Power Pods. Here's what their statement is. It can remove both visible and invisible dirt. Well, sometimes I think it's true. How about Lysol Cleaner? Their slogan is, we remove 99.9% of all bacteria Man, what about that 0.1%? That kind of makes me nervous. <laughs> and who here likes using magic erasers, the magic eraser cleaner? You know what? The, 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 the brand company, their slogan, Mr. Clean, says this. There's no clean like Mr. Clean. Well, here's the truth. When it comes to our lives, Jesus does remove both the visible and the invisible. Amen. Can we say amen to that? He completely eradicates not 99.9% of our sin and our issues. He gets 100, rid of 100% of it. 
And there's no clean like a Jesus clean because he purifies it all. See, the only reason we can do this is because Jesus shed his blood for us. And there's not a more powerful cleansing agent on the planet or in the universe. I love the song that's part of our, 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 our bumper video here, and, and, and we sing it sometimes. It's the great hymn, the iconic hymn, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus. It was written by Robert Lowry. Did you know this? In 1886. And it describes beautifully the work of Jesus. I just want to share the first verse with you. Some of you might even be tempted to sing it with me. You can. I'm, I'm not going to sing it, but I'm going to declare it. It says, what can wash away my sin? Listen, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The refrain, oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. You see, Jesus' blood is the only thing that could pay the full price for all sin. You see, his shed blood changed everything. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 to 20, it says this, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile unto himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. But why was the blood of Jesus needed? Why was it so important? And, and, and as we start this series, now for some of you, you're like, I understand this. I've been in church my whole life, but I want to take a little deeper dive as to why was the blood of Jesus necessary? We have to go all the way back to the beginning of creation to understand this question. You see, when Adam and Eve first lived in the Garden of Eden, we have to remember they were sinless people who lived in a sinless environment. There are times in my life when I think about Adam and Eve, and when I get to heaven, I think I want to punch him in the head. <laughs> because there is no sin in the universe, there is no problems, there is no issues, there is nothing challenging or difficult. And you see, the world was perfect and pure. Everything was in balance and harmony. There was peace between every creature. And as the lion and the lamb would lie down to comfort one another, think about that. There was no fear, no worry, as, as every single creature embraced the man and the woman as their leaders. And, 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 I, and I have a creative imagination. I already told you this. I, I believe that C.S. Lewis was on to something I believe that the Garden of Eden was actually like Narnia and that Adam and Eve could talk and communicate with each of the animals. I think it was that, that I, I believe that they had this ability to do that. Now, again, don't make this your theology. I'm just telling you what I think here, okay? And the earth was a place filled with peace. There was no suffering, no pain, or even death. But in a moment, in a moment of disobedience, everything changed as sin entered the universe. It was a violent invasion. We, I want you to understand, I want you to think about this. It was a violent invasion that disrupted a peaceful and harmonious universe. It brought with it discord, worry, shame, lust, hatred, even death. No longer was man innocent, but it was now in a battle between right and wrong. He would want to do what was right, 
but would be pulled to do what was wrong and needed a remedy. He needed a remedy, remedy for this challenge. Now we have to understand that the remedy that was needed would, was something that would satisfy a life debt or a loss of innocence. You see, sin, which had destroyed everything, demanded a worthy sacrifice. And the sacrifice that God determined worthy was the shedding of innocent blood. Because of sin, Adam and Eve needed to be covered by the shedding of this blood. Which is why God couldn't accept their fig leaf clothing that they made. So he clothed and covered them with the skin of animals. There had to be a sacrifice. You see, because humans were no longer innocent, God offered a temporary substitute. Innocent animals. Now, some of you are going to be like, Pastor Todd, I don't like what you're talking about right now. I know, I love animals. I told you about my, my dog that I'm in love with. I can't imagine that <clears throat> she who's innocent, even though she does lie, um, she's still innocent, that innocent animals were required to cover the indiscretions of sinful men. It shows the destructive nature of sin. And I wish I could paint a prettier picture today, but sometimes we tend to avoid talking about difficult and unpleasant issues in church because they're not always fun and uplifting. But here's the reality. Sin is ugly and awful, and it's what destroys people's lives. And the truth is sin is repulsive to God. He cannot be anywhere around it. You see, when I was growing up, there was a few rules that we had around the dinner table. Maybe you had something similar to it. Like, number one, wash your hands. You know, you, maybe you heard that. You got to wash your hands. When you're a, a preteen or a junior high kid, that seems like a big challenge sometimes. The second rule we had was don't complain about what is being served. Uh, my parents were like, if, if you don't like it, just don't talk about it. <laughs> but number three, this was the, really the big one. Don't play with your food. Do not play with your food. It was the one thing that was off limits at the dinner table. Here's what I want to share about this. Because of compromise and the impurity that is in the world around us, we sometimes do not see the destructive nature of sin. And because of God's grace, many times we can become comfortable with sin issues or even allow them ourselves the freedom to hang on to attitudes or actions, not realizing that we're actually playing with the rattlesnake. Sin left untreated will eventually hurt you. I'm just here to tell you the truth today. Why? Because by its nature, it seeks to grow so that it can control and dominate our lives. And as the, one of the quotes in The Princess Bride, for those of you that watch that movie, it's not something to be trifled with. See, the destructive nature of sin ultimately leads to death. And this is why we see in Exodus, I want to share about this, is why you see this play out in the Exodus of the people of Israel from Egypt. As the Israelites were about to leave Egypt, God in the, in, in the final plague required the firstborn child Children as payment for the multitude of the sins of the Egyptians because of their idol worship and everything that went with it. And the only way the angel of death would not strike was if the blood of a one-year male lamb was slain and its blood was put on the doorpost along the sides and along the top. For those who were covered with the blood of the lamb 
There was protection that caused the death angel to pass by, to not take that life. You see, the blood of the lamb was the only thing that could save them. And and I'm here to tell you today, it's the blood of the lamb is the only thing that can save us. You see, it was a preview to the redemptive work of Jesus that would come thousands of years later. And in the gospel of John, Jesus is called the lamb of God because it is his blood that can save us. John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, not only did God want to save Israel, but he wanted to save all people through a covenant relationship with Israel. Israel was not to be, was to be an, an example and a model for how he would bring all people to him. Through the law, God established a covenant relationship with, through the shedding of blood. Animal sacrifice was the foundation for the law. And it allowed God to walk in a relationship with the unholy people. The Bible says this in Leviticus 17, verse 11. For the life of the body is in its blood. I have given you blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Now, in ancient Israel, blood was not only a metaphor or symbol of life, it was considered life itself. To terminate the blood was to end life, something reserved only for God. To eat the blood of an animal, if you read into the law, was forbidden because it was sacred to God. It was one of the many rules that God established through the law of Moses to free people from sin. But here's the reality. The law of Moses was a complex list of offerings and animal sacrifices that was used to to, to hopefully deal with with the sin issue that people had. It was monotonous. It was exhausting. And And it was impossible for people to keep up with the required sacrifices. However, it was necessary during that season for people to be purified so that they could actually, a few people, the priests, could be in the presence of God. And here's what I want to share today. Not only were the animal sacrifices numerous, difficult, and only to be allowed to be performed by the priesthood, but there was a contrast between the destructive nature of sin, the ugliness of sin, and the the beauty of purity, cleanliness, and holiness that surrounded God. When you read in the Bible, sometimes we, we don't see these things But the items in the tabernacle and eventually the temple were what? They were covered in pure gold. The garments the priests wore were ordained with ornate gems and made of the finest linens. The beauty of the attire was in complete contrast to the messy, sloppy slaughter of an innocent animal. And I don't want to go too deep here, but there's nothing civil or clean in a slaughterhouse. (laughs) I played, my son played baseball with a, gentleman's son who is the general manager of one of the big slaughterhouses here down in High River. And it was stories I didn't really like to talk about with him. (laughs) You see, even the greatest preparation made things unpredictable. Animals could do crazy things at different times and blood would get everywhere. And it was harsh and brutal 
compared to the required cleanliness and perfection. And I believe this is what God wants to communicate and wanted to communicate because it shows how disgusting sin is in comparison to the holiness of God. But here's the reality. And this leads me to why we celebrated Easter Sunday last week. Not only was animal sacrifice complicated and cumbersome and messy, it was wholly ineffective. See, it was a temporary plan for a universal problem. The problem, as much as the law had every area of sin, both intentional and unintentionally covered, it was not sufficient enough to remove sin. They were flimsy substitutes that had limited power. Now, most of you know by now that I really enjoy pop. I've talked about this. It's my vice of choice at times. And if I'm honest, I can drink about almost any flavor or brand of pop. Even the knockoffs like Safeway Colt Pop and President's Choice. I can do all of those things, listen to me, except I can't drink generic colas. Ugh. If it's not Coke or Pepsi, I don't believe you should drink it. It's terrible. Those cheap alternatives taste like cough syrup or something worse. You see, if I'm going to drink a cola, it needs to be the real thing. You see, in order for our sin to be forgiven, we need the real thing. You see, Jesus is the only worthy sacrifice. In order for sin to be conquered, it needed a worthy sacrifice. You see, an innocent animal could not pay the price for human life. A, a, sin, a sinful man, human life could not pay the price for sin. So even if I came on and said, look, God, I'm willing to lay down my life so that other people won't die, God's like, it doesn't count because you already have sin in your life. And in order for sin to be conquered and defeated, a sinless, innocent human life had to be sacrificed. And here's what it says in Ephesians 1.7. Paul writes this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he being Jesus purchased, or God purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. You see, Jesus Blood was the only acceptable sacrifice for sin. This is why the person of Jesus being the son of God, the person of Jesus being a sinless human being is so important for us in history. You see, you cannot get around who Jesus is. And a lot of people can accept that there is a God up there, but they have a hard time understanding that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that only people can come to the Father through Jesus Christ. And the reason is, is he was the only one who could pay the price once and for all. His blood was the only legitimate, acceptable sacrifice. And it required Jesus to die a horrible and humiliating death. I know many of you have watched the passion of the Christ. Can I tell you what? That's not even graphic enough to describe what really happened to Jesus when he died on the cross. Not only was he beaten beyond recognition, the Bible says that, but he was stripped naked 
and crucified on a cross for the whole world to see. The Bible says, records that when Jesus took on the sin of the world, I shared this last week, that God the Father could no longer look at him. Jesus called out, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Why? Because God couldn't even bear to look at the sin. It wasn't the, that he was beaten. It wasn't that he was, that he was crucified. It was that sin came upon him, and he had to turn away from him. It was a brutal sacrifice that produced beautiful and eternal rewards. You see, there's power in the blood of Jesus. We sang that today. Here's the power. I want to give you three things as we close. There's power in the blood of Jesus. First of all, it redeems us. You see, redemption is the exchange of one item for another. Usually items of similar or equal value. But when Jesus died on the cross, there was an incredibly unequal exchange. His life was traded for our life. But we need to hear that the, that the way that Jesus values things, the way that Jesus sees things is that if you were the only living person in the universe, Jesus would go back to the cross again and give his life for you. No longer did we need animal sacrifices to cover our sins and indiscretions, but we were now, our offenses were forgiven. And because of forgiveness, instead of being clothed with shame, here's a, an unequal exchange, we were given new clothes, clo- robes of righteousness. Can I tell you today that if you are a son or daughter of God, that you, he has given you robes of righteousness to where he's exchanged your, 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 your brokenness, your filthiness for beauty. Because Jesus redeems us, we are no longer slaves and orphans, but now sons and daughters of the Most High through a spirit of adoption. And you've now been forgiven so that you can live a life of freedom. First, he redeems us. Second of all, he reconciles us. It says in Matthew chapter 27 that when Jesus breathed his last, verses 50 to 51, that the veil of the temple was torn in two. You see, what, what does that mean? Well, there used to be this barrier back when, they, when the Israelites were, had the temple and the law and all of those things. There was a barrier between God and man. You couldn't go just talk to God by yourself. You had to go to a priest. And the high priest could only go into the holy, most holy place once a year. But when Jesus died on the cross, it says that that barrier was now ripped in two. And the barrier between God and man was now broken. No longer do we need or did we need a priest to go to God. We could speak to God and have relationship with God at any time. No longer do we have to be separated from our heavenly father, but because of the blood of Jesus, we can approach him whenever we need to in any moment, in any place. The blood of Jesus paved the way for a reconciled and renewed relationship. Who's thankful for that today? Number three, the blood of Jesus ransoms us. You see, the blood of Jesus was so powerful that it paid the debt of death that our sin demanded. His blood was so precious and valuable 
that it fulfilled a debt we could never pay. I want you to know this. I want you to understand this. There's nothing that you can do in your own strength and your own power and your own ability to get the grace of God to come on you. It only happens through Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice that he made on the cross. We could do the greatest work of God. We could perform miracles. We could sacrifice our whole life. We could try to, to, to be sinless and even get to a place where we're really close. But I'll tell you what, it would never be enough because we inherited a sin nature that had a debt that was too big that we could pay by ourselves. But Jesus was ransomed. He was exchanged. And his blood canceled our debt. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, listen to this, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. Today, as we close our time together, I believe, first of all, wherever you're sitting, whatever you're doing, that we, we, we need to thank Jesus for his blood. We need to thank Jesus for his blood. We need to thank him for his shed blood today. So just in your own words, just for a couple moments here, just begin to thank Jesus that he shed his blood for you, that he's given you his grace, that he has redeemed you, that he's reconciled you, that he was ransomed for you. Just a minute or two here, just in your own words, God, we just say thank you for your blood. Jesus, thank you. Nothing but the blood of Jesus.